This is Alien. You are with Sigourney Weaver aboard the spaceship Nostromo. All right, Aerosmith has taken the stage. Whoa, check out Steven Tyler's hat. Okay, L.A., crank it up, because we're getting ready to rock on this exclusive live broadcast. Tonight's story of the Twilight Zone is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. It wasn't long before Walt's innovative imagination began enchanting the world. Through the animated characters and films he inspired, Walt Disney showed us that dreams really do come true. W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 377 for the week of September 14th, 2014. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, my Walt Disney World trivia books, audio tours, and saving money guide to Walt Disney World. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So Walt Disney revolutionized family entertainment on many fronts and in many mediums. From movie theaters to the creation of the theme park, his work continues to delight audiences of every age. And in the 1950s, he changed television programming as well with the introduction of the Mickey Mouse Club. So this week, I chat with one of Walt's original Mouseketeers, Bobby Burgess, and discuss how the show came to be, what life was like on set, a typical day, Disneyland, Walt himself, and much more. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned as I'll have some updates and announcements, including information about our upcoming Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World later this month. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Walt Disney was always a visionary and an innovator. From animation to films, theme parks, technology, and yes, even in television. And in fact, in 1955, for his second venture into this brave new world of entertainment, he once again created a show that would be a breakthrough in the entertainment world and chart the course for children's programming in the future. That show was, of course, the Mickey Mouse Club, which ran, at least in its first incarnation, from 1955 until 1960 on the network which the Disney company would eventually own, ABC. It spawned the first official Disney fan club and entertained and even inspired millions of children with life lessons as well. And it also coined a brand new word, Mouseketeer. And one of the very elite few who took Walt's vision and made it a reality on screen and on stage, one of those lucky, talented children, and I have to believe he's probably still a kid at heart, is joining me today. I am so excited to talk to one of the original Mouseketeers, Bobby Burgess. Bobby, I want to welcome you to the WDW Radio Show. Thank you so much. It's great to talk to you, Lou, and to talk to all the people who are listening to your podcast. 
Yeah, this is uh, this is a thrill for me. Uh, Mickey Mouse Club was a little bit before my time. In, uh, <laughs> at least that's right, fifty nine years ago. That's a long time ago. But you know why the Mickey Mouse Club was started? Because Walt Disney needed more money to finish Disneyland, <laughs> so he cashed in his insurance policies. He he went to the uh, bank and got money from his house, and he went to ABC and said, "I can give you a quality <clears throat> children's show if." you were giving me the money to uh, help finance the park. So that's how we got born, so to speak. It's, uh, you know, people don't realize that Walt's journey was not one that was very easy and that cash flow is always coming in. And he did have to leverage and mortgage everything he had time and time again. And you're right, Mickey Mouse Club is a great example of that. But I want to go back. I want to go to little Bobby. I want to go to young little Bobby because I have to, I have, you know, whenever somebody who starts off as a, a child actor and certainly entertainer and as talented as you were, when was it that you first started, right? You know, were you dancing around the house sort of performing for your parents and said, this is what I want to do? Or how did it start for you at a young age? Exactly. I started when I was about three or four years old when I could walk. I think I started dancing right then when I could hear music on the radio. I would just start turning and start dancing around. I have brothers and sisters. I had parents who were not involved in the business or in the dance world at all. And so my mother gave me tap dancing lessons, which she thought would be good for a boy. And uh, I took right to it. If anybody would come to my house, I would say, hey, want to see my new dance? I'd go into the, the dance and put on the music and show my latest steps. Then when I was about five, the dancing teacher paired me up with a girl named Judy. And we were Bobby and Judy, and we became a, became a little dance team from age five to age eight. And uh, so we did all kinds of tap dancing and, and cakewalks and Hawaiian dances and appeared in all these little uh, uh, one-nighters here and there and everywhere. And then we broke up, and I did about... Mm, 75 of these amateur television shows, which were so popular back in the 50s. And in one of those shows, uh, an agent was watching and called the station and said, I think I can get this boy some work. And she uh, sent me on an interview to, for a commercial for Ozzie and Harriet, the old <laughs> Ozzie and Harriet show. And I got that, the very first interview that I went on. So she was encouraged, and then she started sending me out. There was another little secret that's in my book. You know, my book just came out. It's called Ears and Bubbles, Dancing My Way for the Mickey Mouse Club, <laughs> the Lawrence Welk Show. But um, my mother uh, not only would send the 10% to the agent and write a nice thank you note, she would also slip in an extra $20, which was a lot of money in those days. And the, the agent sent me out unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> smart. <laughs> that was very smart of my mother. And so, But uh, I didn't get the Mouseketeers right away. I was sent out to read for Peter Pan, the famous musical that went to Broadway with, uh, yeah, with you-know-who. Um, what is the famous gal? That oh, my gosh. I, I, her name just escaped me. Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, I was signed for that, and, and I went to an Angel baseball game because we were big baseball fans when I was a kid. I was about mm, 11 or 12, I think, and I yelled so loud that... I blew out my voice, and I lasted only three days. It was Mary Martin. Mary Martin. The charismatic, right. the charismatic Mary Martin, that's right. <laughs> and so I had worked with Jerome Robbins, a famous choreographer, and Mary Martin and all, and, and I was devastated. But, of course, right after that, I got sent out to, to the, the Disney Studios, and that's when I got my job on the Mickey Mouse Club. And that was interesting. I went out to read for Spin and Marty, the Cowboy series. <laughs> right. And they said, well, do you... 
do you sing and dance? I said, well, that's mainly what I do. And they said, well, we're having auditions for a new show called the Mickey Mouse Club this afternoon. And so uh, if you can make it, you know, come on down. I just happened to have my music and my tap shoes in the car. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did tap danced and I sang, which I had not done before when they asked me to do that. I sang way down yonder in New Orleans and only knew about half of the words and made up the rest. <laughs> But I think what got me my job is I had a gimmick because a thousand kids were auditioning. I did a barefoot jazz dance to rock around the clock, which was the, the dawn of rock and roll. And so yeah. it was interesting to them. And they thought, oh, this guy's current and he really moves well. We'll make him one of the original Mouseketeers. And, you know, through the years, there were 39 Mouseketeers. The first year, there were 24 chosen and 12 were on roll call. Now, roll call is the one that the people, the Mouseketeers that you know the most which was, you know, Cubby and Karen and Annette and myself and Darlene and so on and so forth. But there were three teams going at all times when we were filming that show. I mean, there was a white team, a red team, and a blue team. The red team of the 12, we were doing Monday and Friday. We were doing Fun With Music Day and Anything Can Happen Day, mainly the singing and dancing. The other kids on the blue and white teams were six and six. They were doing, like, um, Anything Can Happen Day. They were doing... Um, no, it was Tyler Roundup. That was the red team. They would do anything that happened day, and they were doing the circus day and the, and the uh, guest star days. So they kept us busy. It was like a mouse production line. <laughs> I mean, one group was going to school for three hours, one group was rehearsing, and one group was filming. So they kept us busy constantly and then rotating. So it was, it was interesting. And this was 1955 when this was all taking place. <laughs> Long time ago. So, yeah. but describe for me if you can, because I, I try when you talk about that and how there, there's you know nearly forty kids there and they're sort of going through different stages. What what's a typical day like when you show up at the studios and like what about you know how do they handle school and, and what were you getting paid? Well, we were, I was getting paid more than my dad. My dad was a meat cutter <laughs> in Long Beach, yeah. But we were getting paid one hundred and twenty dollars, which included appearances and, and all merchandising and everything else. And it was so much fun. We were just having a great time. Monday through Friday, we were working. Weekends, we would go out to Disneyland when it was built, and we would sign autographs, or we would do two or three shows with Jimmy Dodd and a piano player and a drummer, and you know, right where the pirates ride is. And uh, you know, I would jitterbug with Sharon, and I would. Uh, Help! I would dance with Annette and lift her, and we were dancing to the Annette song, and you know it was it was fun. But yeah, uh, we went to school for three hours. We had a great teacher, Mrs. Seaman was her name. She taught everything. She taught algebra. She taught history. She taught music, but mainly she taught us Spanish. And to this day, we call each other by our Spanish names. I'm Roberto, Sharon is Susita, Annette was Anita, and Darlena and Tomas, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, he, she was really a great teacher. In fact, Tommy Kirk was in our little schoolroom. It was a red little trailer right next to our stage, and there were about six kids in there, you know, private tutoring and all. But Tommy Kirk was put in there with us. And we were all learning Spanish, and he said, no, I don't want to learn Spanish. I want to learn German. I went, oh, my gosh, poor Mrs. Seaman. <laughs> she taught him German, so now he was talking German to us. <laughs> yeah, so, but, you know, we would just be on call. Maybe we'd only go to school for an hour, but it had to be a total of three hours. And then we'd hmm. go in and we'd sing and dance and go back to school or go to rehearsal or whatever. You know, so it was it was a busy time, an hour for lunch. When we would play, uh, when we have, uh, like, um, physical education, 
Who would we uh, have be our teacher? Ron Miller, who became the head of the studio, no married Diane Disney. Yeah, he was our third assistant director. So he was the gopher. He was the guy that would come into our trailer and say, Bobby, you're wanted on stage to rehearse with this part or with that part. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we'd go out and there's a grassy plot where the big man, a big new building is, the Michael Eisner building, and, and we would play baseball or, or football or whatever, and they had ping pong tables set up and, you know, so yeah, we were busy. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean your your fellow Mouseketeers were your classmates, right? They were your schoolmates. I mean, clearly not a a, a quote unquote normal childhood in terms of going to school well, and being sports teams, way, but- right? It sounds that way, but I think they wanted us to try to stay as normal as they could. Of course, with that great education, I went back to my senior year at Poly High School in Long Beach and graduated in the upper 2% of my class, although I would walk down the hall and my name had changed to Mickey from Bobby, you know. But, uh, yeah, um, it, it 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 was a thing where Walt Disney would take his producers around to the local schools before the Mouseketeers started and say, see those kids over there? That's what we want to be, Mouseketeers. In other words, he was saying we don't want any. He didn't want any slick Hollywood types with phony voices and you know uh, precocious kids and that kind of thing. And you couldn't have a stage mother. I mean, one of the girls' mother was trying to get her little daughter ahead and sat on the casting director's lap, and you know she was let go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the mothers were banned from the sound stage or to watch us rehearse. They were relegated to the studio theater across from the animation building. And, you know, all day they'd have to sit there because we had to have a guardian. And they would knit. I remember Mouseketeer uh, Cubby's mother knitted Tommy and Cubby and I a a beautiful sweater, and they would play cards. Or they would go, along with us sometimes, into the studio theater and watch them dub like uh, Lady and the Tramp. And they were also dubbing... Um, Sleeping Beauty. So that was kind of an interesting little side plus that we enjoyed. But it was it was like a college campus at Disney Studios. It still is. I mean, you said that Mickey Avenue and Dopey Drive, and it looks like a park. <laughs> right. It's not like the typical all cement and soundstage after soundstage after soundstage. You know, at the studio, there's still only, I think, four soundstages. And back then, there were two and one of them recently was dedicated to Annette Funicello, you know, who passed away sure. a few months ago. And uh, we we got Mouseketeers reunited, and there was Frankie Avalon there, and some of her co-stars, Shelley Fabre, and 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 they dedicated Stage One, where we filmed our show, to the Annette Funicello Soundstage, and put her name as it. She did her autograph on the side of the the soundstage, which was a nice tribute mm. to her. So I want to talk a little bit more about the show, but I have to sort of get to, because you, you mentioned him, that, that first time that you meet Walt Disney. What is that mm-hmm. like? The first time I ever met Walt Disney is I didn't really meet him. We were uh, doing about five auditions for that show. I mean, I lived in Long Beach, which was, you know, 35, 40 miles away, no freeways. We had to come up every day, an hour, an hour and a half each way. And about on the fifth audition, they had pretty much chosen who they thought would be a good combination to fit in with everybody else. Like I was strong dancing, and Tommy was strong singing, and Cubby played the drums, etc. And one of the producers said to us, "Now be on your very best today because Walt Disney is coming." And we went, "Oh my gosh!" You know. And we saw him in the back of the rehearsal hall with many other gentlemen who were uh, auditioning us, you know, watching us and and helping to, I think, select us. I think I really got to meet him and know him when I was asked 
along with Mousketeer Sherry, uh, Sharon, to escort the son of President Sukarno of Indonesia around Disneyland. So we went out one early morning, and here's Walt and President Sukarno, and they hopped in the front seat of a golf cart, and Sharon and I and the little guy were in the back seat, and we got a tour all the way around Disneyland with Walt Disney explaining all the new adventures, all the new lands, and all the things he had planned for Disneyland, and he was so proud. And that's when we first got to really talk to him and, and meet him. At least Sharon and I did. And so at the time, you know, we look at Walt Disney now and he is so iconic. What was he like? I mean, was he, you know, certainly was not as big as life as he is now, but was he, you know, your boss? Was he a father figure? Was he intimidating? And you know, how often we, we all, we've talked about this before. We all kind of think he was kind of like a high school principal. You didn't just run up, run up and say, hello, Walt. He wanted us to call him Uncle Walt, but we were the 50s kids. We had respect for our elders, so we always called him Mr. Disney when we saw him. But he would be walking down Mickey Avenue with his head down and his hands behind his back, and he looked like he was deep in thought. Well, of course, he'd been doing Disneyland introductions and thinking about our show, his daily. You know, he was doing uh, those those cartoon movies, and, and so many things were going on that uh, I remember one time, <laughs> Mouseketeer Sherry, was walking by and he said, oh, hi, Mouseketeer Sherry. And Sherry said, hi, Mr. Disney. And she ran in to talk to her mom and she said, mommy, mommy, Walt Disney just recognized me. And the mom said, I know, dear, because you have your name shirt on. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all in my book. I have great stories about my adventures at Disney, that's for sure. And my adventures with Lawrence Welk Show. And I was lucky. I went from one family institution to another, from from Walt Disney to, to Lawrence Welk. And, you know, Lawrence Welk used to tell people, I had no trouble with Bobby because he was raised by Walt Disney. <laughs> right. Which means what? Was, did I live in Disneyland? <laughs> was he my father? <laughs> you know, but, well, uh, it's funny you say because it, it almost was kind of like, you know, as I was, uh, you know, thinking about the transition going from Walt Disney to Lawrence Welk, uh, Welk was, it was almost sort of like going from one father figure to another. And, and it was, in a way. And I was taught so much at Disney Studios how to be a professional, even though I was a kid. And then when I went on the, the Welk Show, and it lasted for 21 years, and it's still on public television after 60 years, you know, and it's on PBS every Saturday and Sunday here, and I'm one of the hosts of the reruns now, which is really great. But because of Disney, and I had to do my own choreography on the Welk Show, I learned great dance steps, which I could incorporate in my choreography. I learned how to, you know, not touch the props and find the arc of the lighting and not to put on weight and mainly to be prepared and do my very best job on the, the final push for the show. Because on the Welk Show, wow, we did three camera runs through, run-throughs, um, a dress rehearsal with an audience, and then the show. So we, by the time it was on the air, we had done it five times full out, 100% full out. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I think obviously part of the reason why you were able to transition for such a long period of time to Lawrence Welk was because on the Mickey Mouse Club, you were without a doubt one of the best male dancers, which is probably why you were pretty much in every dancing number and one of the few that was there of the, of the kids that was there for all four seasons. And it's so funny to watch it because the very first year I was so happy to have a steady job and get paid for it. Uh, and so I'm dancing my head off. I mean, with <laughs> so much exuberance, I guess that's the right word. And then I kind of settled down. And by the third year, I kind of grow into my looks. In fact, my kids can watch me go through adolescence right before their eyes. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it was interesting. We got had fan clubs. We had 
letters, and we all answered our fan mail. And, of course, our breakup out star was Annette. And, you know, Annette always said I wasn't the best dancer and singer. But you know what? She just had a special charisma that came across that that television that especially all the little boys wanted to marry sure. her. <laughs> yeah. But I, I always thought Darlene was the talent on that show. I mean, Darlene could sing. She was quirky in White Shadow on the series. She was an actress. She could dance. She could do toe dancing and tap dancing and, and, and all. And, you know, it's interesting. As the old Mouseketeer song says, through the years we'll all be friends wherever we may be, and we still are. After all these years, we send Christmas cards. We see, we see each other at weddings or our kids' weddings, and mm. unfortunately at funerals. And, you know, we're, we're still close because we, we grew up together, really. We were, we were there for four years, uh, 55 to 58 is when it was. We only did three years of that show. Of course, it was on daily, so there's a lot of product. But, uh, you know, then they, they cut the third and fourth year of the Mickey Mouse Club into half-hour segments. And then, of course, they reran it in the 60s and the 70s. They, they brought it back, and then they started a new Mickey Mouse Club. We called it the Disco Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> and uh, that wasn't a big success. And then they brought it back in the 80s again. And, and Sherry and I were doing a big tour, 25 cities around the United States, in 1988 for Mickey's 60th birthday. And we were at Bloomingdale's in New York City, and we had a huge crowd just for the two of us signing autographs, meet and greet. And Michael Eisner was there with his wife, Jane, and he said to her, look at the Mouseketeers. They are still so popular. Let's start a new Mickey Mouse Club. And that was the beginning of this new Mickey Mouse Club mm. that was filmed in Florida instead of in Burbank, where we did ours. And the first year, they even had me go on some of the auditions to choose some of the first-year kids. Now, the first-year kids had a group called The Party, and they were great kids, but for some reason they let them all go, and they hired a whole new group of kids, and that's where we have those five superstars that came out of the new Mickey Mouse Club. Justin Timberlake, who is my neighbor right here in the Hollywood Hills. I find his golf balls and his and his baseballs in my driveway. I wish he would sign them. I could go to eBay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears and Ryan Gosling and Carrie Russell. I mean, they all came out of that group. But I think it's because they had really good agents. Back in the 50s, we didn't know hardly about agents. I mean, I, I had one, but, you know, we were the slick pros that these kids became in the, uh, in the 80s and 90s. And that propelled them. Of course, they were all talented and charismatic. That's, that's for sure. But, you know, we had a great start in show business. I think probably Annette and I were the only ones that stayed in front of the camera. Some of the other Mouseketeers were very successful behind the scenes. Like uh, Tommy, he became a makeup artist. And uh, he won an Emmy for Backstairs at the White House. And Sharon, she worked at Disney Studios for years, but she was in animal costumes. She was in Dumbo Circus, and she was Welcome to Pooh Corner. And uh, let's see, um, Cheryl, well, she did lots of things like like My Three Sons. Of course, we had Don Grady, who went... Some of the Mouseketeers that weren't real popular Mouseketeers did well on their own. We had Johnny Crawford the first year. Johnny went on to do The Rifleman. Very mm. successful, right? But he was let go for the Mickey Mouse Club. He was one of the 12 the first year in the Red tr Group, but he had a stutter, so they let him go when oh. he went on to be the successful actor. <laughs> and then Don Grady was only, only the third year. He wasn't on Roll Call and became a star with My Three Sons. And Paul Peterson, he was let go after two weeks because he was running around the catwalks and splashing paint on things <laughs> and everything else. And he went on to do the Donna Reed show and make movies. And, uh, you know, so it was, a, it was a great first step. 
but uh, like I say, a lot of a lot of the kids went behind the scenes. That Doreen became an executive at Warner Brothers Music, so they kind of stayed in show business. But I was lucky, like I said, to go to the Lawrence Welk show, and it was so creative. I mean, to dance in front of that twenty-five piece band every week, and to be able to tell them what set I would like to have or costume and. You know, I would go to the arranger's house and arrange, have him arrange the music like I felt it. Lawrence Welk would tell us about two weeks in advance now, in two weeks we're going to do the Tarantella. And I would think to myself, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do the Tarantella. <laughs> so I would have to go research. And I had coaches here and there and everywhere. I would take my partner, would learn a few basic steps, and then I would choreograph to the music that Lawrence Welk would give me. So that was, that was very creative, and, and I loved doing that. But it all started with the Mickey Mouse Club. There it was, the basic, the foundation for me. And obviously, you know, you certainly, especially at such a young age, have no idea where it's going to potentially lead. But what about that first time you're on TV? Like, I have to imagine, especially so early on, what that must have been like. And correct me if I'm wrong, Bobby, but was the first time that the Mouseketeers were seen on TV, was that at the opening of Disneyland? Yes, that's the opening of Disneyland, July 17, 1955. We came dancing out of the Mickey Mouse Club Theater, where the Pinocchio ride is today. And, you know, it was so hot, and we were dressed in our talent roundup day wool <laughs> outfit. I mean, and, you know, the, the, the asphalt was uneven. I had the jitterbug with Sharon, and, and, and I was so wild in those days. I mean, everybody else says their name, and I say, Bobby, and I'm like, have so much energy, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, and then um, Art Linkletter, who was one of the hosts, you know, along with Ronald Reagan and Bob Cummings and Walt Disney, said that these are the dancing children. They're going to be on a show called the Mickey Mouse Club as Mouseketeers. Nobody knew what a Mouseketeer was because it hadn't even started yet. It didn't even start till October. So then the first one premiered, and then it just took off, you know, singing and dancing. We were the only show that had four segments. We were one of the only shows that had a cartoon, even though our cartoons were kind of old-fashioned, like 30s and 40s. But, you know, we had the uh, the newsreel segment, we had the Mouseketeer segment, the serial segment, and the cartoon segment. And, uh, you know, at that time, there were not a lot of channels, and there were not a lot of kid shows on. I think it was Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, and Howdy Doody, and us. And I think that's about it. You know, but kids love to watch our show. We were on for an hour, uh, originally. But a lot of teenagers said, hey, we watch the American Bandstand show from 4 to 5, and then we watch your show from 5 to 6. Mm. And that's, that was their afternoon. Then they'd go eat dinner and have do their homework. <laughs> and, as a matter of fact, Team Magazine, as soon as the Mouseketeer show was finished, when I went back to high school, called, and they said, we want to team you up with one of our dancing members from American Bandstand and go on tour. Mm. I said, okay, great. So I got to dance with Pat Molitary, who was a really popular member of of uh, American Bandstand at that time. And, you know, we, we did very good business along with some other rock and roll 50 stars at that time and toured all across the United States. <laughs> so one led into the other. But, you know, I went on and I did the, some acting and I did the Donna Reed show. And then I thought, you know, I got to get back to normal. I've been on the Mouseketeers for four years. So I went to, uh, like I said, uh, Poly High School. And then I went out to Cal State Long Beach and I joined a fraternity. And I made lifelong friends that I still have to this day. We get together every New Year's and celebrate New Year's with about 30 couples from way back mm. in the, the late 50s, early 60s. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and then, of course, I met my wife on the Lawrence Welk Show. And we've been married 43 years, believe it or not. I have four children, and I have three grandchildren now. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. 
That yeah. is great. Yeah, Especially life changes. Show, life show changes business. when you have grandkids, right? <laughs> Pardon? Life changes a lot when you have grandkids. Yeah, it's so much fun because, you know, you, you can play with them and spoil them. I'm Mr. Donuts. I bring them donuts. <laughs> and, of course, the parents are kind of give me dirty looks. But, uh, yeah, I'm Pappy, and my my wife is Granny. And, hey, they come over to our house, swim in our swimming pool, and uh, then they go home. And we've had a great time, and the moms and dads have to calm them down after all the sugar I've given them from the donuts. <laughs> And so, do, like, what about your kids and your grandkids, you know, as they're growing up, do they sort of understand, you know, you sort of being the mouseketeer and this, and you know, I, I talked earlier about Walt being a visionary because the show was was really very significant in entertainment because it was the predecessor of things like Sesame Street and Electric Company and sort of yeah, variety we, we shows. Taught them how, we taught people how to spell encyclopedia on the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> no, my kids were always very interested and had a lot of fun watching the old shows and all. And my wife, you know, she was the daughter of Myron Florin, who played the accordion on the Lawrence Welk show. So they were... They were, my wife and, and her sisters, he had five sisters, were, were raised around the business, and I think that's one of the reasons we had a successful marriage, because she knew I had to be on tour sometimes, and she understood what was going on, and, you know, she's not in the business, but she's very smart. She teaches at Sylvan Learning Center and has a degree and, and the whole bit. But my four kids, okay, they learned ballroom dancing to, when they could walk. In fact, my little girl, well, not a little girl, she's 37, <laughs> excuse me, but when she was like three and four years old, every year she would dance the polka with me on the Lawrence Welk show, and I would even do lifts with her and all. So anyway, my four kids teach with me. Here in Southern California, I have Burgess Cotillion in Long Beach, and then I have uh, uh, three more, four more cotillions over in Palos Verdes, and we have 1,800 young people, and wow. they teach ballroom dancing with me. So they all know how to dance and, and love it and appreciate it. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's been a, it's been a fun time with with, with kids. And it's great that you're able to sort of carry that tradition on, not just for your kids, but for, for other kids as well. I want to ask you just one more quick question about the Mickey Mouse Club before we talk about, you know, how it ended and what that was like. Because were you one of the kids that worked on Rainbow Road to Oz, which I, I guess was filmed but never actually aired? I, I was. I was the scarecrow. And great makeup, great original songs. They wanted a really funny, far-out voice. So my voice became the voice of... I, it was Doodles Weaver's voice, who had done cartoons, you know. And then um, they created a new character named Patches, and that was Doreen, and she had patchwork all over her face and all. And uh, Darlene was like the Dorothy character, and uh, and Annette was the beautiful... Um, you know, was, it, was she Glinda? Was she? It was Glinda? That's right. She was Glinda. So we we did this uh, this first half of this Disneyland show, and I thought it was great. Jimmy was the Cowardly Lion, and you know the farm boys and farm girls with the other Mouseketeers, and you know I, I can see it right now. We danced up this giant cake because I think we're celebrating also a Disneyland anniversary. It was supposed to be this big movie. Nobody knows what happened because you know Disney owns all the Oz books except for The Wizard of Oz. So uh, it, it was called the Rainbow Road to Oz, and uh, so it's still out there. And you know, I would love to know the answer of that. Why didn't it get produced? You know, it was it was a, a great segment of on the Disneyland show, I thought. But you know, who knows what happens to those things? Yeah, I did a uh, I did a show a while back that I'll link in the show notes about sort of the Oz that almost was in terms of the the Disney connection. Well, we talked a lot about uh, Rainbow Road to Oz, but let's talk about the, the end. Um, how does Mickey Mouse Club come to an end for you, and, and how does that happen 
Um, in How terms did of, it come to an end, did you say? Yeah. Okay, I think we kind of all grew up. You know, I think I think my voice had changed, and Annette had filled out her sweater. <laughs> so, you know, like I say, every, everything was different, um, and, and it just it, it finally it was very expensive to produce daily show like that, and uh, it was kind of sad at the end. I mean, I remember seeing the girls; they had a box of Kleenex, and they were all crying. It was Annette and Sharon, and I believe it was Doreen. At that time, I thought to myself. <clears throat> I want to go back and see my friends in high school and back in Long Beach. And, you know, I, I, I had done it and I had had a great time. I mean, the most fun at the time I had was the Mickey Mouse Club Circus. We were actually riding horses and elephants every day. We did an aerial trapeze act under a big top where the uh, submarine ride is today mm. and had some great times. But to me, it was time to move on. And, you know, uh, everybody else was very sad because who knows what the future would bring. But like I say, I was the lucky one. I got to continue and continue in such a creative way on, on, on the Lawrence Welk Show. And, and now I've written this book, and it's because people would come up to me and I would start telling them my stories, and they'd say, why don't you write a book? Not only my relatives, but some friends and some fans. And I thought, you know, maybe I will. So it's taken me two years, and I got about 50 pictures in their photos. And, and just all kinds of stories, great Lawrence Welk stories of what happened to me on tour, some of the things <laughs> that happened when I was with my partner, because, you know, I've, I've danced in every state in the Union many times. I've got a map with pins on it. And then when I'm not dancing, my wife and I love to travel. I've got a world map with pins in it. And in fact, this next February, I'm taking my two sons, and we're going to the Mardi Gras for the first time. So that would be great fun, I'm sure. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, so yeah. It, the, the book is interesting because you really do sort of chronicle in story, which is great that you're able to and you're willing to share that with people because yeah. of what you may have seen and experienced. And it really is, I mean, literally dancing your way from Mickey Mouse Club to Lawrence Welk. Right, and I think people who have read it says it sounds like me talking, which is like, how do I talk? Who knows? But they said it's just like me talking to them. And, you know, it, it has a beginning. It tells all about my Disney days and my transition. It tells all about my Lawrence Welk days. I have a thing in there called Welkisms. All the mistakes that Lawrence Welk made all those years when he was announcing, maybe 25 of them. <laughs> Some people say, that's the highlight of the book. One guy wrote me and said, I laughed so hard I had tears. And then at the very end... I have an interesting chapter called Farewells, and I talk about the last time I saw Walt Disney, and I talk about the last time I saw Lawrence Welk, and I'm the only one that can tell those two stories. And six months after each one of, of, of those, uh, when I appeared with each one of those icons, they passed away, which is really quite sad. So yeah, it's been a it's been a wonderful life so far, <laughs> yeah, and, and we we Mouseketeers still get together. You know, we just about a few Thursdays ago we did a Disney Anna con con convention collectors convention. They had a sing and dance. We had a script. I jitterbug with Sharon. Cubby played his drums. Tommy sang. It was kind of an audition for D twenty three, which is going to happen this next year at the Disneyland Hotel for the 60th anniversary of the Mickey Mouse Club and Disneyland, of course. I think that 
that Thursday a few weeks ago was kind of an audition <laughs> to see if we could still walk. We <laughs> still got it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, everybody seemed to love it, and I think it was a big success. So, yeah, we'll be singing and dancing 60 years when we first passed, when we first started. Amazing. Well, I'm going to be, we, um, every year I'm at D23, and we have a booth there, and we're live broadcasting. We'd love for you to come by and, and say hello oh, and, and chat for a little bit. But it, it's neat that to. you talk about, because I was curious about getting together with the Mouseketeers, because I know you, you were there for the 1980 TV special, right? Right. I was there for everything. <laughs> I was there for every anniversary and every celebration. I mean, one of the most fun was the 100th birthday of, of Walt Disney. They took a group of us down to Florida, and, you know, we were appearing with uh, Julie Andrews and Mickey Rooney and the voices of all the lady uh, ca- cartoon characters. And, you know, so, yeah, I, I, was, I was there for everything. You know, it's funny. In, um, in 1980, okay, 25, 35, uh, uh, 55, 65, I guess it was 19, yeah, anyway. <laughs> we, did, <laughs> we did five shows at Disneyland on our 25th anniversary. And we did 16 numbers, costume changes and everything. And then afterwards, when it was over, we said, well, that'll be the end of it. They, they won't call us anymore. Oh, my gosh, they called us for the 35th. And we had a big celebration on the 50th, and we performed. And now the 60th is coming this next summer at the Disneyland Hotel for D23. <laughs> so, you know... We still could. We could still do it. You can still. We started young. We started young. I think that was the advantage. Well, and you know, and I'm going to tell you something honestly, Bobby. That that I love and why I'm enjoying talking to you so much is you really embrace and you love, and I could hear it in your voice. You know how special the time was. Oftentimes, you hear people who are child actors or entertainers. They want to dismiss that or they want to get away from that and talk about other things. But you really seem to love that time. You love these people. You love what you did. Oh, I, I thought it was a, a great time in my life and a big break for me because, like I said, I had been an amateur dancing my head, head off all those years. I even learned to play the accordion and would play the accordion and tap dance at the same time to see if I could get some more of those, some more loot on some of those amateur shows. And then to get a job, a steady job with Disney. I mean, we would go out sometimes real early in the morning when we were performing at Disneyland and warm up the rides. They would give us press passes. <laughs> if there was anybody in the park, we would go ahead of them and get on these rides and we would see who could spin the teacups the fastest or you know or maybe nobody would be there and they would just be starting up you want to try it out okay let's see how it's working today <clears throat> and we mouseketeers would go on these rides and have a blast before we'd even start work yeah so it's i can't see what would be wrong with that <laughs> yeah. it uh it's you know it's a it's something that you clearly understand not just was a special time in your life, but continues to be. And, and I really, I, I applaud you for that because you don't, you know, you hear about actors and say, oh, I'm not going to do reunion shows. I'm not getting together. And, and, I, and I love the fact that you do. Well, I, I, I know on the Lawrence Welk Show, one of our really popular singers said, the only reason I'm on this show is to get off it. And I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, this show goes to, at one time, 30 million people, the Lawrence Welk Show. And I thought... This is, this is a, such an opportunity to be on TV every week. And, you know, he went on to do some nightclub work and all, but, you know, it's, it, people should really appreciate what they have, that's for sure. And boy, I did on both of my shows. And I loved doing it. I mean, I just had a great time. I and I still do, because even the Lawrence Welk Show, about once a month, we get together at a deli over here in West Los Angeles, and we all get together again. 
you know, and, and we're a musical family. Lawrence Welk was our musical father, and, you know, it was kind of the same way. So I, I came from two great families, that's for sure. And then, of course, you know, I have my own family and my own personal family. And, you know, my mom and dad were married for uh, 59 years, and, and I think they laid a good foundation for me. And, uh, it, you know, it wasn't push, pushy mom and let's get him in show business. It was just yeah. things just kind of fell into place, which was unusual show show business because a lot of times you do need a pushy mom or <laughs> pushy somebody to get you where you are today. So I think it was my my foundation that really helped me along the way. Not coming from a showbiz background helped you as opposed to sort of right. being the pressure to, to get into the family business. Right, right, for sure. You know, it'd be hard to uh, to continue if you were like the son and daughter of Mickey Rooney and two of his kids were on the Mickey Mouse Club for one year. But, uh, you know, it, it would be hard to live up to his uh, his fame and fortune, you know, to try to top the dad or be equal to him. You know, unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately in my case, my kids did not want to go into show business, but they're having a great time, you know, with their, they have their own private lives, but they, they love teaching with me down there in Long Beach. I think it's great. And do people who are being taught, do the kids who are being taught, do they understand, like, who, like, you were a huge deal in the 50s on the Mickey, like, kids, you were probably idolized by millions of kids around the country, and now they're getting a chance to learn directly from you. Yeah, I think I think they just were raising it, and it's like I'm dad. You know what I mean? Uh, and I'm, I'm I'm pappy. I'm grandpa. So you know, I might put on one of my little granddaughters. She's now six, but you know, since she could almost talk, I want to watch the Welk Show. You know, so mm-hmm. we put on the Welk Show and see me dancing the English quick step or the the swing with my partners on there, and she would she loved that show. So they they've been fans. And the Mickey Mouse Club also. I wish they'd bring it back. Now, I hear that they might do what they call streaming of all Disney products. I guess you would pay yeah. one one price, and you could see every Mickey Mouse Club episode and every Disney movie. That's kind of what I was hearing. I don't know if that's true or not. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, being able to share like with my kids, who are, are 9 and 10 going on 35, but being able to share with them the original Mickey Mouse Club and seeing what it was like back then. And it was, you know, it goes back to the essence of Disney, right? It was a simple, wholesome, family-friendly entertainment. Right, for sure. And, and there were lots of great, uh, great lessons on the way. Like when I grew up, the first year they had this, uh, this story about pilots and stewardesses and, and what do you want to be when you grow up. And, you know, Jimmy Dodd was always singing Doddisms, all kinds of advice for kids, good advice for kids. And so they were teaching at the same time that we were entertaining, I think. So that was a good plus for the show. But it was, it was a very special show, that's for sure. <clears throat> and so I have to, of course, ask you the, the difficult question because it's like the favorite show. But if you, if you close your eyes, Bob, and you think back to such an amazing career, uh, again, with an entertainer like Lawrence Welk and certainly, you know, being on the Mickey Mouse Club with Walt Disney. If somebody said, you know, Bobby, is there a moment, is there a memory, is there a laugh, is there something that is just so profound to you that was that, that you really think about and whether it's something that you cherish or maybe something even difficult like the passing of those two father figures? You know what, um... I think the memory that I remember the most, now that you mentioned that, the very first day of filming of the Mickey Mouse Club, we did a dance, a very fast dance, and then sang, we are the Mary Mouseketeers, but in front of this great big huge blue curtain with a huge picture of a drawing of a boy and a girl. 
And I think that's kind of what I always remember that first day, just dancing my head off and, and, and being with all these people who became my really good friends throughout my life, you know, and uh, I, I think that's what I remember the most. But just the good times. It was a good time with every. And then on the Welk Show, <clears throat> I had three different partners, and each one was different. They came up with new ideas and helped me to grow as far as a choreographer and a dancer. And you know, and, and I have stories in my book about everything, and especially uh, you know my my adventures at Disney and then my adventures with Welk. Then I talk about my travels with my wife and unusual things that happened. And I have stories about cotillions and unusual things that happened <laughs> with all the kids that I've been teaching all these years. And then, like I say, the very end of the, the, the book of the farewells <clears throat> of my two icons that I got to work with. So it, it's it's a book I think everybody would be entertained to read. So anyway, it's on Amazon.com if you're interested. I, uh, and I think it'll be in Barnes & Noble any day now, too. I'm actually <laughs> going to put a direct link to the book um, and to some of your other websites and things like that in the show notes for this week's podcast because I am certainly curious, especially after talking to you, about hearing more of those stories and hear about, you know, the good times and the hard times and, and everything that went along with it. And, and Bobby, I could talk to you all day long uh, mm -hmm. because this is just fascinating to me to sort of hear about your journey and to just hear that continuing passion in your voice for something that, you know, was not just a significant part of time in your life, but, you know, like I said, went on to really... Uh, predate and maybe help direct uh, kids programming in the future. So I, I appreciate your time so, so very much today. Thank you, Lou. And you know, we always close the show with now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. M-I-C see you real soon. K-E-Y-Y because we like you. M-O-U-S-E I was hoping you were going to do that. I didn't want to <laughs> ask. <laughs> and hey, I better, I better do this for Lawrence Welk. That's how we opened and closed the show on the Lawrence Welk Show with the bubble pop. Anyway, it's great talking to you, Lou. Bobby, thank you again so very much. Again, the book is Ears and Bubbles, Dancing My Way from the Mickey Mouse Club to the Lawrence Welk Show. Again, Bobby Burgess, thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye-bye. for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to what you see, maybe even to what you hear. You can then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I was in a Frontierland kind of mood celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Hoopty Doo, and I was thinking about another classic musical theater Walt Disney World attraction, which I still love to this day, the Country Bear Jamboree. And your question was simply this. Tell me, in the Country Bear Jamboree, which bear plays the mouth harp? A lot of entries for this one. Pretty much all of you got this one correct, too, because you probably played the song in your head and knew that Big Fred's playing mouth harp. He plays it kind of sad. He never took some lessons. He just picked it up from... Anyway... Thanks to everyone who entered, I randomly selected one of the correct entries. You were playing for a copy of my 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book, all six of my audio tours, and an autographed copy of a photo from Richard M. Sherman from the 
legendary Sherman Brothers. And the randomly selected winner last week is Christina Garner. So, con Christina, congratulations. I'll get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So the big news this week in Walt Disney World is that Maelstrom in Norway is closing to be replaced with a Frozen-themed attraction. So I thought, let's hop aboard what will soon be the Wayback Machine and ask a Maelstrom-themed question. So as you know, as you are ascending up the waterfall, you hear that you are not the first to pass this way, nor shall you be the last. Your question simply is this. Who says that? Who is your narrator when you hear that line talking about going to seek the spirit of Norway facing peril and adventure? You have until Sunday, September 21st at 11.59 p.m. to email your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. This week, you'll be playing for all six of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, a copy of 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World, and I'll also send you a signed copy of my Walt Disney World trivia book, Volume 2. If you're interested in finding out more about any of those products, you can visit the shop over at www.radio.com. But in the meantime, good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Also want to say quick thanks to M. McLean, Lorraine Fowler, Annette Seymour, and Nicholas Slate for their great reviews of 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World over at Amazon.com. You can find out more and order the book in print for your Kindle, Nook, Kobo device, or as a PDF by visiting Disney102.com. Also, don't forget that in addition to the podcast, which you can subscribe to over at iTunes, please tune in every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDWRadioLive.com. There we'll talk about this week's Walt Disney World news in a live interactive chat room. You can watch me and chat with me and others in the text chat. And then we'll also stay for a little while later, talk about just about anything that you want, including the Ask Me Anything in the lightning round. Again, that's over at www.radiolive.com every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Also, please be sure and visit www.radio.com for our multiple daily blog posts. Got a great team of incredibly talented writers, as well as new videos, our newsletter, free app for your iPhone or Android device, our discussion forums, and lots more. You know I love hearing from you, so if you have a question you want answered on the air, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. If you want to be heard on the air, you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 or just click the Leave Lou a Voicemail button on the podcast show notes page or by clicking the orange button on the right-hand side of the home screen. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangiello, facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello. You can follow me there or like the fan page over at facebook.com slash Radio. But as much as I love connecting with you and hearing from you guys online, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. And that's why you should visit the events page at www.radio.com to find out about upcoming meets of the month and other meetups around the country. Don't forget that if you're in Walt Disney World, our next meetup is going to be Sunday, September 28th from 3 o'clock to 4.30 p.m. over at Storybook Circus in Magic Kingdom in the former location of the Fast Pass ticket distribution area. It's now sort of a rest area lounge. You can grab a frozen drink or a snack from Big Top Souvenirs right next door, recharge yourself and your phone, get together anyone and everyone is invited please feel free to bring the entire family also the day before i'll be doing a live broadcast 
from the Disney Weddings and Honeymoons special event. That's Saturday, September 27th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can watch that live over at www.radiolive.com. And also visit loumangelo.com to find out where I'll be speaking other places and having meetups on the road. And if you want to book me to speak at your conference, consult with you or your business, or have me come speak at your school, again, you can visit me over at loumangelo.com. Big thanks to my partners and sponsors, Mouse Fan Travel. Whether you're coming out to Disney World, Land, Adventures by Disney, Disney Cruise Line, maybe even one of the Disney parks overseas, they will help answer all your questions, get you the best possible prices and all available discounts, all at no cost to you. And it really is that level of personal service that is their hallmark. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And if you want a little bit of Disney magic delivered right to your door or your digital device, you can subscribe and order back issues of Celebrations Magazine by visiting celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links and comment over on Facebook. And please go to iTunes where you can rate and review the show there. Big thanks to Mary LJ, Jewel Spar, Habist, and Snowman1969 for their recent reviews. Thank you guys very much. It's very helpful and very, very much appreciated. And most importantly... I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for allowing me to do what I love each and every week and share it with you. And I really do want in my heart of hearts for you to feel the same way I do every day, to be excited about what you do, to pursue your passion and make it your profession. And if you are a podcaster that loves sharing your passion through podcasting or you're just thinking about starting a podcast, I'd love to be able to help. I'd love to either help coach you one-on-one or see if you can join our Podcasters Mastermind group. There's just a couple of spots left for the group that's forming in the next couple of weeks. Again, you can find out more by visiting lumangelo.com. And remember that whatever you do today, however small it might be, can eventually change all the tomorrows for your rest of your life. So start taking action to do what you love. And hey, if there's any way that I can help you, please let me know. I hope you guys have a fantastic week this week. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou, it's Chris o- Chris from uh, West Palm Beach. Uh, next team on the uh, Ustream on your uh, Wednesday night. Uh, just want to tell you that I um, totally agree with you in your kind of opening statement on the latest podcast uh, about just really just walking around. That's how we love to go to uh, uh, Disney World. Uh, we usually come up about twice a year for several days, maybe two to three or four days, depending. And um, that's how we love to do it. No no rush on, any, on anything. Um, and we just love enjoying, you know, the little nooks and crannies, just like your show says. And um, and that was just a great show. Anyway, enjoy everything. Um, we enjoy everything. And um, best to you and the family. Always love your positivity. Love the podcast and the show and all the work you do. And uh, talk to you soon. You take care. I'll see you on October 3rd for the meet and greet. I really tried to make the um, uh, Twilight Zone, or I'm sorry, Twilight Tower event. Uh, couldn't get in there in time. So, um, But anyway, we'll see you uh, Friday the 3rd, and you take care, bud. Bye now. Hello, Lou Mangiello. This is Darlene Yankee, and I am in Florida in Disney Hollywood Studios calling in to say it's 265 days away from our WGW Radio Wonder Alaskan Cruise. And I can't wait. It's going to be magical. 
I don't think it's going to get as hot as it is here today. It's probably ranging around 100 in um, Florida, in Hollywood Studios, but that's okay. I'm enjoying it. I'm not melting. Like those ice caps will be nice and frozen. So I want to say hello to everyone in the box and in the group of the radio team and our cruisers. And also, I want to say a shout-out to Brian Harvey. It was great meeting you in the boardwalk when we were there for the meetup. Have a great day and a magical one. Bye. You've got a friend.